This morning, there's some notes on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. I want to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago, talking about Abraham's tests of faith. I'll review a little bit so we can catch up to where we are today. We read in chapter 22, in verse number 1, and of course chapter 22 is that passage that tells about Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain to offer him to the Lord. And he goes on top of the mountain to make this great sacrifice. He's asked by God to offer his son Isaac. And this can truly be called the test with reference to Abraham's faith. But in verse number 1, it says... In chapter 22, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. The word tempt there is the same word test. James talks about the fact that we cannot be tempted of God. God does not tempt us. God tests us. God tests us to bring out the best in us. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us. So when he talks about tempting there in verse chapter 22, verse 1, he's talking about testing. God's testing us. It came to pass after these things. There were some things that happened before God took Abraham up on the mountain to offer Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord. And Abraham obeys the Lord, and he follows through, and we'll see some of that later on as we get to that particular part of the, uh, of the uh, message on the tests of Abraham. God takes us through tests. Chapter 22 is the seventh test that's recorded in the Bible about Abraham. There were six tests preceding that. And we looked at the first two of those tests a couple of weeks ago. God takes every one of us through tests in our life. Someone said a faith that is not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. God will test your faith and God will test my faith. And some of the greatest trials that we face in life will be the trials that come to us by the hand of God Himself. Just as the Lord Jesus told His disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and while they were on that boat, they faced a great storm in the midst of the sea. They were there in that storm in obedience to what God had told them to do. And sometimes in our life, We can be in the center of the will of God doing exactly what God wants us to do and He brings tests and trials in our life so that He can help us to grow as we walk with the Lord and also to show us that if we fail one test in our life, it doesn't mean that our walk with God is over. He shows us that a man like Abraham here in the book of Genesis who is called the father of faith, occasionally Abraham failed in some of the tests of his life. And yet, God calls him the father of the faithful or the father of the faith. He went on and became known as that man, that man of faith. We looked, first of all, at Abraham's test with reference to his family a couple of weeks ago. God tested the fervor of his faith. God came to Abraham. He told him to pack up, to move, to leave where he lived, to leave his kindred, and to go to a new land. And he said, I will show you the land when you get there. So he packed up to move and didn't even know exactly where he was going. God wants us to understand that the Christian life is step by step. It's day by day. And here's the question God was asking Abraham early in his life. He was asking him, Abraham, do you love God more than your country and more than your kindred? What would he do when he was tested in this area of packing up and moving away and leaving and going to the place that God had called him to? Now, as we studied that, we found out that he did go, but he delayed for about three years. He waited until his father passed away, 
And then he, then he followed and obeyed the Lord. So he did go. He passed that test, but, but he delayed it a little bit. He had some struggles with it. Second test we talked about was Abraham's test with reference to his food. And God was testing the sufficiency of his faith. God sent Abraham to Canaan, but in Canaan, there was a famine that was going on. And I'm sure folks stopped Abraham outside of Canaan and said, you can't go in there. They've got a big famine going on. They don't have enough food to feed the people that are already there. You can't go in there. And we saw that there are 15 different famines that are mentioned in the Bible. God sends famines for two reasons. God sends a famine, first of all, to test men. He tests us to see if our faith is sufficient. In other words, will we believe God in the difficult times of our life? Do we understand that God loves us and that He will take care of us? And then He also sends famine to teach us. He tests us and He teaches us. And what He wanted to teach Abraham was that He could march right on into the land of Canaan and He could trust God that God loved him and that God would take care of him. You know one of the biggest things the devil wants to do in our life? He wants to get us to doubt that God loves us. I'm glad we have a God who does love us. We talked about that in our adult Sunday school class. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd loves his sheep. And God loves us. He wants to care for us. He wants to feed us. He wants to provide for us. Even though there may be a famine, Abraham could trust God. So he failed that second test. He took a detour and didn't go down into the land of famine. We come to the third test that we want to pick up with this morning. And that is Abraham's test with reference to his fellowship. And here God is testing the humility of Abraham's faith. Here's Lot. You remember when Abraham was told to leave Ur of the Chaldees? He took Lot with him. Here comes Lot back into the story to haunt him. Every time you fail in a test in your life, you'll face that somewhere again later on in your life. You know, it's kind of like going through school. You come and you take a test, you fail it. Well, you don't pass that grade. You've got to wait and go back through it again. God does that in our life sometimes. We fail a test and God brings it back around and we have to take that test again. That's one of the reasons why I want to pass the test. Sometimes when I've been in struggling in things, I say, Lord, I don't want to have to go through this again. Teach me what you want me to, to learn. Help me to learn it and help me to pass the test. So here comes Lot. He's facing some consequences from failure previously. And this young man now becomes the enemy of Abraham because they're fighting over the land. They have been blessed so much, their herds have grown greatly, and there's not enough grazing land for all of them. The blessing that Abraham meant to Lot, he brought Lot along to be the inheritor of all of his wealth, and now that blessing becomes a curse. Because now Lot is using up the ground, the grass, the grazing land for the cattle. And so the blessing becomes a curse. Let me say this. All of your life, you're going to be doing things for people to help them. Giving to them. Caring for them. Loving them. And many times those people that you've done the very most for will turn around and bite the very hand that feeds them. Amen? I remember some years ago, we had a couple families in our church. And one of the families, they needed some furniture. And so there was another family in our church. They had some furniture. They, I forget all the details of it. But they were selling this furniture for, I think it was $300.
And so I knew one family needed furniture, another family needed to sell furniture. So I went to the family that was selling the furniture and I gave them $300 and I said, now I want you to give this to the other family. Don't tell them who paid for it, where it come from. You just tell them that, that you, somebody gave the money and, and bought the furniture so they could have it. So I was able to be a blessing to the family that needed to sell it. They needed $300. I was a blessing to the family that needed the furniture because they didn't have it and didn't have the money. Long story short, both the families got up with, upset with me several years later about something and left church. <laughs> and so uh, the thing is this. I didn't get upset over that because I didn't give to them. I gave to the Lord. Amen. And if you keep that in mind, when you're doing things for other people, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the Lord. And so here's Abraham. And here's Lot. When those types of things happen in our life, what is our attitude about it? What does that do to our life? Sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? Sometimes it can break your heart. Sometimes it may even kill you nearly. But look down at verse, 13, or verse 8 of chapter 13. It says, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. Let's don't be fighting with each other. That's a good, good advice for all of us, isn't it? Let there be no strife with me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we be what? Brethren. He said, we're brethren. We're kinfolk. We don't need to be fighting with each other. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes. And behold, the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. It's interesting. He looks, he looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah. It's well watered. It's got plenty of green grass. And notice it says, it was even as the garden of the Lord. What was the garden of the Lord? That was the garden of Eden, wasn't it? So Lot says, hey, that's like the Garden of Eden. I think I'll go there. But it's interesting that people don't always tell you the real reason at first, do they? Look at the next thing he said. Like the land of what? Land of what? Egypt. Like the land of Egypt. Egypt represents the world. Egypt is where they went when they should have gone to Canaan. They went to Egypt that represented the world. Lot said, oh, it's like Eden. It's like the garden of the Lord, but it's also like the world. And he chose the world over the garden that God had made. What would Abram do when this young boy, whom he had done so much for, started having problems with him? You know what he did first? The first thing he did was he surrendered his rights. He surrendered his rights. Look at verse number 9 with me again. He says, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, for me. If thou wilt take to the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If you depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. In other words, he said, Lot, we don't have to have problems. We don't have to be fighting. We're brethren. We just don't agree. We're going to have to go our separate ways, go two different ways. But don't forget verse number 7. Look back up at verse number 7. It says, And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And then it sticks a little phrase in there that almost seems like it's out of place. It says, And the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelled then in the land. 
What was so important about the Canaanites and the Perizzites? They were the non-Jewish. They were the unbelievers. And what Abraham was saying was, Lot, don't forget, when you and I are fighting with each other, the world around us is watching us. And we need to be careful as believers, as Christians, as God's people. Don't forget, when we get fussing and fighting with each other, the world's watching. Dad and mom, when you get fussing and fighting with each other, your kids are watching. And they know what's going on. Abraham's the old man here. He's almost 80 years of age. Lot is the young man. But instead of Abraham standing up and saying, I'm the patriarch, I'll decide what I want, and you take what's left over. No, Abraham stood on the hill with Lot. And he said to Lot, Lot, you decide where you want to go, and I'll take what's left over. He surrendered his rights. Write this down somewhere if you would. God always gives his best to those that leave the choice with him. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. That's a wonderful passing of this test for Abram. You know why? Because the man of faith can always allow the man of sight to make his own decisions and to take his choice without the fear of losing. Always. That's a biblical principle. There they were on top of that mount. They were looking. On one side there were these well-watered plains. Plenty of grass. You know what was on the other side? A desert. A desert. And they had great herds. They have huge numbers of, of cattle and And they had to feed and water them. And so Lot looked with his eyes and he said, Oh boy, I'm gonna, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna just take this best land and I'll leave the old man, the, 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 the desert place so that he can go there. I'll go to Sodom and Gomorrah where there's plenty of grass, well watered plains. I'll leave him the desert. And Abraham just basically said, Fine. That's fine. Because I learned when I went down to Egypt that God could have taken care of me in Canaan if I would have just trusted Him. God could have taken care of me in the midst of the famine. I'll tell you what, Lot, God will take care of feeding my cows even if it's in the desert. I don't want to fight with you, and he didn't fight with Lot. And so he told Lot, you go, you do the thing that you want to do, and I'll go the other way. Some years ago in our church here, There was a man that sat in our off, my office one day, and he told me, he said, God's put it on my heart to give $300,000 to the building fund. We were going to raise money to build this building here. And, and he said, the Lord's put it on my heart to, to give $300,000 to the building fund. And there was another man in the office with me at that time, and he heard that, and he decided that he wanted to get that money. And he did get that money, and he left the church and took a group of people and started another church. They built a building or they bought a building that was already built. And later on, that man left and deserted those people, and they dwindled down to four or five people and finally had to sell the building that they had bought. But you know what happened? God blessed us and allowed us to build this building debt-free. And we had our first service in here, which is 20 years ago now. And when we had our first service in here, everything was completely paid for. You see, God always gives His best to those that leave the choice with Him. And the best way that you and I can silence our critics is just keep on doing what God wants you to do. Keep on doing what's right. 
There may be many times in your life when somebody who is called a brethren to you, you may have to separate from them in order to maintain the right kind of testimony. And Abraham did that. He separated from Lot. He wanted the right testimony among the parasites and the uh, uh, Jebusites and the other people around them, the watching, the Canaanites and so forth. He wanted the right kind of testimony. He didn't want them to see him and Lot fighting. And he understood nephew, his nephew Lot was immature. And yes, he was a, yell, a relative. Yes, he was family. But Abraham wasn't going to have his testimony evil spoken of in the community. So he said, son, you just choose what you want, and I'll take what's left. He surrendered his rights. And then he also sought righteousness. He sought righteousness. Look over to the end of the chapter to verse number 18. The last verse in the chapter says, And Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the land of Mamre, in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Abraham said, it's more important for me to worship God than it is to fight with Lot. That's a good lesson for us to learn, isn't it? It's more important to worship God than to fight with Lot. There may be a lot of water and grass here, but I can build an altar over here, and I can still worship God no matter what the conditions are around me. And no matter what the circumstances, Abraham said, I can still worship God. He built there an altar unto the Lord. Hey, let me ask you a question this morning. What stops your worship? What stops you from worshiping? The rain? The cold? Hurt feelings? Misunderstanding? A lost job? The failure of another Christian? You see, the man or woman of God, when they come to a time when they have to break fellowship with one church, they'll always find another church to fellowship with. I've had times when I've been going door to door and talk, knocking on doors and talking to people, and people say, well, I used to go to church. I used to sing in the choir. I used to teach a Sunday school class. What happened? You see, if you're a man or woman of God, you'll find another place to build an altar. Because you're not following and worshiping people, you're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What kind of grade would you give Abraham in reference to his test on fellowship? I think he made an A+, plus, didn't he? He passed that test. He's learning from the tests that God has given to him. Well, there's a fourth test that Abraham faced, and that is the test with reference to his forgiveness. His forgiveness. God here is testing the character of his faith. Look at the next chapter, Genesis chapter 14. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Eleazar, and Chedalomar, kings of Elam and Tidal, king of the nations, that these men, these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Beersha, king of Gomorrah. Now, where has Lot just gone? Sodom and Gomorrah. So now the cities where he thought were well watered are about to get, go to war. And it says, Sheba, king of Abba, and Shemabar, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. Now, you may be saying, preacher, you didn't pronounce them right. Well, you, if you want to come up here and pronounce them, it's okay with me. Here he is. These two 
Sodom and Gomorrah are about to go to war with five wicked kings. They came, they went to war, and they captured Lot and his cattle and all of his possessions. If you look at verse number 8, it says, And there went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Admah and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, the same is Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. Now look at verse number uh, 13, verse 10. And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountains, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Amner, and they were confederate. These were confederate with Abram. So these kings capture Lot and all of his possessions, and one escapes and he goes and tells Abraham, Abram, Lot has been captured. All of his family is taken into slavery by these wicked kings, and he says, Abraham, they're gone, they're captured, they're taken. And what did Abraham say? Well, serves the little rat right. No, that's not what he said. I brought him out here to make him rich. He turned his nose up in the air at me. He chose the best land, good for him. He got what he deserved. No, that's not what Abraham said. The first question for Abraham was, would he forgive Lot? Would he forgive Lot? Lot chose the best land, gave him the desert. Abraham's dreams were shattered when Lot left. He had brought Lot along to leave him the inheritance, and now Lot has moved on. And that has been a grief to the old man and brought much pain to him. Would he forgive that young man for his immaturity and for his foolishness? It's not just a matter of forgiving him, but the second question was, would he fight for him? Would he fight for him? Abraham didn't say this. He didn't say, well, bless God, poor little Lot. I'm going to fast and pray for him. I'm going to ask God not to make his slavery too difficult. And I'm going to ask God to teach him a lesson from this great tragedy in his life. That's not what Abram said. Look at verse 14. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive... He armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. 318 servants going after five kings and their armies. And he divided himself against them, verse 15, he and his servants by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. Abraham fought for Lot because Abraham was a man of character. You know why he had character? Because in that day, a man who had no children often choose his youngest brother's or his oldest brother's son to become his heir. And he took complete responsibility for that son. He became his son. He had to take care of him. And so Abraham understood his responsibility to Lot. And Abraham said, listen, I'm the one that got Lot in this mess. Had I not brought Lot with me here, he wouldn't be in captivity right now. And so Abraham rounded up his soldiers, 318 men or his servants, and went to war. 
these four or five wicked kings and their massive army. And Abraham says, if I can just get my 318 servants, we'll go over there and we'll whip those five kings and we'll get Lot and bring him back. Why in the world would Abraham say that? Why? How could he say that? You know why he could say that? He could say it because his cause was right and his cause was righteous. He could say it because he had forgiven Lot with all of his heart. Now notice this. If you do the right thing, God will fight for you. Abraham did the right thing. He knew God would fight for him. He didn't mind going against all those great armies of five kings with just 318 servants. These were not professionally trained soldiers. His were just servants. You know something I like about Abraham? When he went to war, he didn't quit in the middle of the battle. In verse 15, it tells us that he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobab, which is on the left hand of Damascus. He went after them. He didn't just run them out for a little while and have a little skirmish with them and bring back Lot. He rescued everybody that was captured with Lot. And not only did he rescue Lot, notice this, he also rescued the wicked people that were with Lot. He rescued all the people of Sodom. What was Sodom and Gomorrah known of? We'll find out a little bit later on. That was a wicked place. And he rescues Lot and all of his family, but the wicked people were rescued as well. Why? Because oftentimes the wicked benefit when a righteous man does what's right. The wicked benefit. The Bible says God brings the rain on the just and the unjust. And sometimes the wicked benefit because we do what's right. And they had a testimony from God that Abraham's God was the true and the living God. And Abraham said, I'm not going to stop here. I'm going to chase these men all the way out of town. I'm going to make sure they don't ever come back again. What a wonderful victory that Abraham had. He did very well in his test with reference to forgiving and forgetting and fighting. He forgave a younger brother for wronging him. Have you? He fought for him. He brought him back. He didn't say, you little dirty rat. He didn't bring him back and say, you dirty rat, I've fought for you, i brought you back, now you're going to stay with me and I'm going to straighten you out. This is not going to happen again. He didn't even do that. He dropped him off at the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah and said, son, you're a big boy now. You can stay here if you want to. I'm sure Abraham welcomed him back to his home if he wanted to come there. But God had made Lot a free moral agent. And Lot made a poor decision again, as we'll see later on in his life. But Abraham forgave him. Could I say to you and to me this morning, God has made us free moral agents. Sometimes He lets us make wrong choices, doesn't He? We suffer consequences. I'm glad we have a God that forgives us when we turn back to Him. Let me say a word about forgiveness. King David had a son by the name of Absalom, if you remember. Absalom was a man who killed Amnon because Amnon had raped his sister Tamar. And David did not deal with that sin, neither did he forgive Absalom. And in 2 Samuel 14, we don't have time to go there right now, David allows Absalom to come back to Jerusalem 
But he said, let him not see my face. David had, or Absalom had been banished. And finally, David gives permission for him to come back to Jerusalem, but he said, I don't want to see his face. You ever had somebody do you wrong and you said, I don't ever want to see that person again? That's what David said. I don't want to see his face. There's another man in the Old Testament of the name of Joseph. Joseph had 11 brothers. You remember they sold him into slavery, didn't they? He ended up down in Egypt and in Potiphar's home and all the things that happened, but he ends up second to the, to the Pharaoh. And in Genesis 45 and verses 1 through 5, it tells us that Joseph forgave his brothers because he reveals himself to his brothers. He tells them who he is when they're in there in, in, in his home. And he says to them, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, what am I saying? Simply this. David said, Absalom, don't, he wouldn't forgive Absalom. He said, I don't want to see your face. Joseph forgave his brothers and he said, guys, come close to me. Come near to me. Our God in heaven forgives us of our sin and saves us and makes us a child of God. And he doesn't say, you stay away from me, you, you wicked sinner. I don't know. You know what he says to us? He says, come. I want you to come close to me. I want you to get close near to me. In fact, I love you so much that I've prepared a place where we can stay together forever in heaven. That's because our God has forgiven us. When you and I don't forgive people, we don't want to see them. When we forgive them, we're willing to say, okay, you can come back. You can come back. Now again, I understand there's situations where people can't come back. I understand that. But generally speaking, true forgiveness is I forgive you and I can restore fellowship once again. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 and 4, you read about heaven there. And when you read about it, you'll find that there's no suburbs of unforgiveness or partial forgiveness in heaven. When we get to heaven, all is forgiven. Amen? And God's forgiven us. You and I will have many tests before we get to the mountaintop like Abram did in Genesis chapter 22. We are to learn from those tests. We are to learn from this man of God. Pass those tests and bring glory to God. I've faced tests. You'll face tests. Let's pass them. God will test you in relationship to your family. Sometimes He'll ask you to leave your family. It's unusual, but sometimes He'll ask you. When Vicky and I got married, God took us right after we got married to, we lived for a little while in the state of misery. I mean, Missouri. We call it misery, but the state of Missouri. And we moved out there for a while. God took us away from our families. And then he brought us back to Roanoke, Virginia for a little while. And I was about three hours away from my family. We were quite a bit more away from Vicky's family. Then he brought us to the, here to northern Kentucky and and her family lived on the north side. We were close to them. I was about eight hours or so away from my family. Sometimes God takes us away from our family. Are we willing? I know we like to have family close. We all like that. But sometimes God chooses different. He will test you in relation to your family. He tested Abraham in relation to his food. There was famine. Would he trust God to take care of him when he lost his job? When there wasn't enough food? 
Can you trust God in the difficult times to provide for you? He tested him in relation to his fellowship. Lot, go his separate way. We're fighting. We want to have a good testimony. He tested him in relation to forgiveness. Would he go fight for Lot? Would he forgive him? And he did. Pass those tests and bring glory to God. And let me just say this, and we'll come back to the fifth test tonight, the Lord willing, and pick up there. But let me say this. The greatest test for all of us is to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Will we trust Him or will we trust our own works and our own goodness to take us to heaven? We must trust Him. And your greatest storm, if you're not a child of God, is still ahead of you when you die. You'll spend eternity in the lake of fire forever and ever if you do not trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Give your life to Him. Trust Him. Thank God when the tests come, if we'll trust the Lord, He'll bring us through. He'll mature us. He'll develop us. He'll make us a greater Christian. Tonight we'll talk about the test with reference to His desire for fortune. In other words, God's going to test you in relation to your money. And we'll talk about that tonight. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the tests that You take us through. Some of them are difficult. Sometimes even gut-wrenching. But they teach us to trust You. They show us that you love us and that you'll take care of us no matter what the circumstances. And that they show us that as you forgave us of our sin, we can forgive others when they fail us and disappoint us and offend us. Would you help us in these tests of life to grow and mature and to become more like you? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.